0: Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me again on the Word Podcast. We continue our examination of 1 Timothy Paul wrote this inspired by the Holy Spirit to Timothy, and he's dealing with a lot of various... Issues within Timothy's life and within the church. And by issues, I don't necessarily mean sins. I mean things where he's seeking to motivate him, seeking to encourage him. Yeah, he's correcting some things. There's no doubt. He's actually showing them how they ought to live together. Okay, So that's the reason that it's so worth our examination because we need this as the body of Christ. Uh, Let me go back and go through the last two verses that we looked at in our last time together because they set us up for the balance of the chapter. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 4, verse 7. He's telling Timothy, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life And also for the life to come. Now, we saw in the previous episode that that is a big, big thing, that godliness has promise and holds promise for this life right now and the life to come. Now, verse nine, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. So he's saying, what I just said right here, this is a statement that is trustworthy in relationship to godliness. If you pursue godliness, it will have a tremendous impact on this present life and it will also have uh, impact on the life which is to come. So don't back off that. Okay? He's encouraging. So said, this is a trustworthy statement. It deserves full acceptance, not just partial acceptance, but complete, and total ex- uh, acceptance. Verse 10, for it is for this we labor. And strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. <laughs> now, that's an interesting little phrase right there. But Paul's letting me know this. He said, it's, We are pursuing this godliness. It is for this that we're laboring. Because of this is the reason that we go and we proclaim the gospel message, it's the reason that we labor, the reason we strive, because we've done what? We fixed our hope on the living God. And that really is a question for us. Uh, What is our hope based upon? Is our hope based upon the discipline, the things that we can do in the flesh? Or Or is our hope based upon godliness? Is our hope based upon the living God and what he can do in our life now and in days to come in the future? He's saying we have our hope fixed on the living God. And then he expands a couple of things. Who is the Savior of all men? Gives us a little insight that God is the Savior of all men. Not just a portion of men. He's the Savior of all men. So does that mean that all men are saved? You can imagine how people have twisted that around. And there's there's actually a major teaching That pops up occasionally within the body of Christ, universalism, where because of this verse right here and several others, they can take it and say, see, God is our Savior. He's the Savior of all men. And since Jesus died on the cross for all mankind, then all mankind is saved. They may have rejected God. They may have rejected Jesus, but it doesn't matter. They're all saved. And so they'll say something along that line. Well, that's not what the totality of the Word of God teaches. And even the rest of this sentence right here gives a little nuance negating that because he says, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So the living God is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, what is that saying? You know, well, when you look at it, you think that's sort of a curious phrase, but here's what the meaning is. God is the savior of all mankind through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the savior of all. But he's given man, he's given man the opportunity, the responsibility to receive or reject him. He did not create us as little marionettes upon a string. We can be faithful, we can be obedient, we can say, yes, Lord, I believe, I repent, save me, and you will be. Or you can say, no, I don't believe that, and turn and go your own way. God is still the living God who is the Savior of all mankind. But the ones who are believers say, yes, I believe. And when they believe, they are saved. And that's the reason it says that he's especially the Savior of the men who believe. Because what's happening is, he's saying, they have appropriated the salvation that I have provided for them. So he starts firing off these little uh, directives uh, to Timothy. Verse 11, he says, prescribe, which means uh, command, command and teach these things. He just says it point blank. He said, teach these things prescribe these things folks these are things that are not being prescribed today these are things that are not being taught that are not being commanded that we're not receiving instruction about you know in most pulpits uh, the best you're going to get is somebody may stand up and read a scripture passage but then they're going to get up and just uh, try to be relevant in other words try to be twice too cute to where they can keep people's attention or where people go, ooh, ah, wow, wow, I never thought about that before, and being enamored by the speaker rather than being enamored and in love with the Most High God because of his word. In the majority of churches in the Western world particularly, what's usually propagated is the, the particular form of denominationalism. Okay? I mean, how many times do you hear people say, well, us Baptists believe this, or the Methodists believe that, or, and they don't go to the Word of God, they go to the man-made documents of their particular denomination. And for the most part, people don't even know the Word of God. They think they know the Word of God, okay? they think they do, because they've been Talked to about it, and they've been told certain things, but they really don't know it. The truth is this the more you know the word of God, the more you realize you don't know the word of God. So what he's telling them is, I want you to command these things. And it's a bold thing right here, okay? And in both these letters, first and second Timothy, he's telling him to really be bold with this and this word right here literally means command to direct, to give instruction to this particular medicine, literally to order, okay, and then to teach these things. Verse 12, I think, gives us a little insight as to why Paul's saying things the way he does. Verse 12 says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe the King James and the ESV said, let no one despise you for your youth. In other words, don't, don't let anybody bring you down because they're looking at you and they think you're a young, ruddy guy and you don't know what's going on. Don't let that happen. He was younger. How much younger? We don't know. Maybe, I'm going to say, what, 30 years younger than Paul, 30, 35 years. And he says, don't let anybody do that. But what you need to do is you need to set the example. And set the example in what way? In your speech. In your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. See, people would give greater heed to what they see than what we say. If we say and speak the truth, and yet they see that it isn't consistent with our life, well, forget that. That's just a the, the base definition of a hypocrite, right? But he says, let them see this in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, and your purity. Be an example of those who believe. And by being that example, it will draw others to a right relationship with the Lord. Well, again, I'm Dale. Thank you so much for your time, and I'll see you again next time. Goodbye.